we cannot replace a Jaron or a David or a Michael. You can't replace them all, right? And that's where when, when people leave companies, that's where the strife is. But I could probably replace half of you, right? And that's not to say that you're actually replaceable. It's there are functions to your job that can be outsourced. And what are those? What are the things that we can make easier? And maybe think some of our coordination of our meetings and stuff like that. Like, can that be outsourced? Welcome to RevOps Rockstars in Pursuit of Unicorns. I'm David Carnes. And I'm Jaren Chu. Join us as we interview RevOps leaders to explore the challenges they have faced, the biggest lessons they've learned, and what they think makes a RevOps Rockstar. This show is brought to you by OpFocus on a mission to help companies run their businesses better by letting you focus on growth while we scale your operations. Let's get this show on the road. Today's guest on the podcast is someone we are thrilled to be discussing RevOps with. He specializes in sales operations through process improvement, reporting, analytics. His areas of expertise include go-to-market initiatives, sales metrics, forecasting. He's also someone who knows Salesforce like the back of his hand. We've got the Director of Revenue Operations at Risk Connect, Michael Boardman. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. So, Michael, we're thrilled to have you on the show, and we really enjoy starting by asking the question, what's something in RevOps that you had to learn the hard way? I feel like you opened it up with the hardest question of the, of the entire show, just probably to break the ice, <laughs> but um, the, the one thing that we learned the hard way, or I learned the hard way, rather, is picking the wrong technology because I wanted it, not what the field was asking for. And I go back a couple of years of, it was, I was coming out of Log Me In and I thought there was this one cool tool that would save the planet when it came to helping our sales team. And it wasn't actually a need. Um, so it was, it was just one of those really humbling experiences of acknowledging many years later of, I made a mistake. I'm pretty sure that was ripped out about a, two or three months after I was there, but it ended up being one of those things I fought for, I thought was important. It really wasn't asked for from the business, which is a huge learning, I think, in all of sales and or revenue operations. So that makes you, you know, think, is there a way to bring in uh, others in whether their stakeholders get their feedback and, you know, to what degree can you trust all that feedback if somebody just had a terrible experience before, but that may not be related to this situation? How have you dealt with that in the years since? Yeah, when I join an organization, I spend a ridiculous amount of time talking to people. Um, I know in past lives, I, I survey the field. I truly do a one-off survey of what's working, what's not working, and like, what do you like? What, like, what what would if we were to save the world by doing one thing, what would it be? So it's 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 going through that exercise of truly asking the questions. And slowing down a little bit. I know when everyone gets to their new job, they want to make their impact as quick as possible. Like, if there's one thing you usually have is a little bit of runway. So make sure you don't make that first mistake. And if you are going to recommend a technology, make sure there's a partner on the other side or the field facing side that's also driving it with you. Because if you start pushing technology, it's, it's almost never going to get adopted unless it's very specific. And I think of some of those back end office processes, like lead routing, for example, of like, this is really going to save time. Whereas, hey, this is something that's going to truly impact, impact the field day in and day out. If they're not bought in, it's, it's not, not going to work. That is a powerful question. What is one thing we could do 
to save the world. And I think your advice about slowing down is so meaningful too, because sometimes when we're jumping into a new environment, it's hard to kind of discern what are the uh, urgent asks from the most strategic, most impactful asks. Are the asks actually aligned? Do people agree that it's a problem? Those are all things we've got to do, essentially our due diligence when we are joining a new company. Yeah. And I think it's, Consulting was one of the best things that I did was go out to the field and you start playing with a couple different types of personas. One, you're usually brought in by an executive, right? This executive has a vision or has identified a problem or whatever it may be. And then you're also probably there because something's not working the way it should. So why are you there? And it starts with what is the biggest revenue impact that you can start with? And I know that it's still after my scale up days, it's true right? You, you're trying to make an impact on the biggest thing possible. And that's driving pipeline, helping close deals, conversion, retention, whatever it may be. At the same time, you got to get a couple of those wins. And so you're kind of playing two personas right now. You're playing persona number one of the person paying for the check, if you will, from consulting. At the same time, trying to get some buy-in from some of your peers that you're going to have to work with and understanding what are the true needs of the business because that's the stuff that can help driving and make it a little bit easier down the road. So it's it's kind of playing that consulting balance card between highest revenue impact, but also the highest business impact on the back end might be a huge change that you just, you gotta get moving um, or, or the data you're trying to collect early. I love that you're taking account of two sets of stakeholders. One is of course your peers in the actual business execution role needs to experience a positive impact. And of course, what you said about making sure there's maximum revenue impact, any CFO hearing that would be so um, moved to know that, hey, within the first 30, 60, 90 days, you have that on your radar as well. Uh, And that is what garners a lot of goodwill to actually move forward with larger strategic initiatives. Right. Absolutely. Let's bring the conversation specifically to the company you're at right now, Risk Connect. My understanding is that it serves a whole variety of industries, healthcare, retail, manufacturing, FinServe, transportation, aerospace, energy, et cetera, et cetera. You're at about about 800 employees and you've raised two rounds of private equity funding thus far. Start off by helping us understand what does RiskConnect do? So RiskConnect is a platform that does integrated risk management. So think of anything associated with risk and how your consumer and our partner and our customer, whatever it may be, assumes that risk, right? And how do you then optimize the, the backend flows to say, hey, we have a complaint or insurance claim or whatever else it may be. At the same time, and this is where I came from, that was a, through an acquisition, is it's the what if scenario. Like, what if there's a hurricane in Florida? What do you do? That's all associated in your risk and what are the business flows that fall out of it? So. It's, it's one of those big things of risk next putting together and hence why a couple of the private equity rounds were put in place to, to do organic and inorganic growth over the next X number of years to focus in on how can we create the best integrated risk platform uh, across, across the business or across the world. How big is your sales team with your company being around 800 folks right now? And, and comparatively speaking, uh, what's the size of your RevOps team to support sales and marketing and all the other functions? Sure. It's about, I'm trying to think how many comp plans I just did. So it's depending on how you count it between BDR, CSM, salespeople, it's about 125 to 150 because it's about 125, 150 comp plans. Um, as for RevOps, it's it's pretty it's a pretty eclectic group of, of, of characters. Um, so we have a, a really good, strong um, sales ops group. 
There's about 10 people between deal desks, S functions, traditional CPQ management. Um, we then have, let's say, a, a team of operators that there's about five or six of us. Um, and then there's also a technical operations team that's about two or three and then some contractors as well. So I, I would say the extended community is somewhere probably about 15 people, uh, give or take, depending on the function that you're focused on. But it's definitely a diverse team of uh, a bunch of groups that are essentially matrixed together one way or another. Um, no one reporting to one central role, but nonetheless, all kind of working together. So you're saying that your teams are more of an alliance, a coalition of the willing where you're working together on similar initiatives, but they do still roll up to specific functional areas within the business. It's probably the best way I've heard it described of the coalition. I, I like to think of the Jedi Council sometimes. Uh, but yeah, I think that's how RevOps is, is now becoming. It's, it's Whether it is consolidated, great. But more than, more than not, it's actually the other way around that you're, you're really creating that alliance, if you will, Jaron, I think you said it properly, of how do we all work together? Because I do like the functions rolling up more and more into the actual business functions. I think it allows for that extra area of expertise, whether it be in CS operations with gain sites of the world or the Pardots, Marketos. Like, and then we all do a pretty good job of realizing what are you working on? Because that impacts what I'm working on as well. Tell me a little bit more about how you stay aligned, especially because there isn't a central person or a central point where everyone is rolling up into. How do you ensure that if several teams are impacted by a certain tool, let's say uh, you mentioned Gainsight, you know, CS might be heavily on it. There might be other uh, teams using it. Um, you know, CRM is always across multiple functions. How do you ensure you're in lockstep with each other and what types of initiatives have you seen that work well uh, recently? So the biggest one recently was definitely our integration. So we were, we Castellon are, uh, we're about 100 to 125 people um, getting integrated into about a, at that point, a 650 or 700 person company. So a total of 800 people when we kind of flush it out. So one is weekly. You got to start talking weekly of what are you working on? And no detail is too small. So we've continued that through our integration and now into our day-to-day -day practice. I know the, the group at Castellon was a, a pretty close-knit group, so we we would speak weekly. And then there's always, I always picture as a, just a mini triangle, if you will, of let's say me being a RevOps, like I don't need to know every single detail if let's say CS and marketing need to have something, but as long as they're aligned, we're kind of in line, right? And so we all have that same vision of we're truly trying to work in how do we overly simplify our marketing, our BDR, our sales, or CS, or retention practices, if you will, uh, with the same mindset of, we all know what we're trying to do, but me moving forward in someone in a different direction, that's okay. How do we actually combine into one solution? And hence the meeting each week to say, hey, I'm actually working that. Can we just tie off? And it's not even augmented, but it's more of a tie off. How do we work together to say, hey, that's close enough to what I'm working on. And then also know where to break from what we're trying to do. Like, yeah, it's close enough, but I really need this one specific thing over here. Yeah. And I think the interesting thing about the coalition uh, approach is that um, each team needs to have, of course, good faith in the others to, to play nice and work together. Um, but also when it comes to prioritization, there still needs to be some kind of coordination at the start of a quarter, at the start of a year to ensure that um, you're approaching it in the same direction so that you're not at least rowing in opposite directions. Yeah. And 
whether small or big, I know when I was at a smaller company, I was basically that person. It's actually nice being part of an acquisition every once in a while is that you don't have to be that person anymore. Um, and it's just the bigger the organization, the bigger the role that that takes. So sometimes it is your COO, CFO, leader, technical leader, whomever it may be. Um, it just, it's where it bubbles up and where's that crossover actually exist. How do you determine what types of initiatives you handle in-house? You've, you've mentioned earlier in your kind of team structure, you've got some external folks that are also helping out or, or contractors. What are the types of things that you try to outsource and how do you make that determination? I'll probably have to go back to my, my Castellon days to answer that question. And it ends up being a little bit of bandwidth and skill set. Um, I know when I was at Castellon, we had two contractors, um, even previously, oh, there's always some sort of contractor seems to be hanging around RevOps these days that is your Salesforce expert. So I, I try to do the bigger projects that someone in-house couldn't handle, right? Or it's, I don't have time for it or whatever else it may be. If it's something simple, and let's assume it's a simple workflow for a second, is this going to take like an hour? And if it's an hour and I just need a distraction from my day or whatever, like I've been working on something else for way too long and I just need a distraction. Like sometimes I'll just do it because like, oh, I kind of want to figure out what to do and it might be a little pet project. But usually if it's any more technical than a field creation and I know it's not going to impact anything, I want to outsource it as fast as possible because that's then preventing me from doing something else. And usually that's something else just because we're usually in-house resources and revenue operations. It's usually some call from a very senior person said, why aren't you doing it? And if your answer is responding of, I need to go create this backend workflow. And they're like, what does that do? And you can't explain it. It's, it's not going to help you become more strategic. And so what ends up happening is you get caught in the weeds a little bit and you kind of move to the back office. So I try to, I also don't like maintenance personally. So whenever I hear someone that loves Salesforce, like my eyes open up, it's like, oh my God, this is great. This is going to be a great partnership because I don't love that stuff. I like designing it. But when it comes to the execution, I really love working with people that love working in the back office. And therefore I try to outsource that because it's, it's not my sweet spot. I know how it works, but it's not what I enjoy doing every day. I think that self-awareness as a RevOps leader and, uh, you know, up and coming, um, leader within the business is so important because I think outsourcing what we're not good at doing or what we prefer not to do is easier. And like you said, doing it as quickly as possible, uh, is important because there's an opportunity cost, but as we continue in kind of the breadth of the types of initiatives we take on, what becomes even harder is outsourcing what we're good at, right? When we do need to spend time on some of those more higher level thinking strategic initiatives that you simply can't ask someone else to do. I think that handoff, that that transition is a must that we have to learn how to do. Uh, and it's essential in, a, in order to be able to make it to that next level. And that's, I mean, I think that's everything, right? It's, we cannot replace a Jaren or a David or a Michael. You can't replace them all, right? And that's where when when people leave companies, that's where the strife is. But I could probably replace half of you, right? And that's not to say that you're actually replaceable. It's there are functions of your job that can be outsourced. And what are those? What are the things that we can make easier? And maybe think some of our coordination of our meetings and stuff like that. Like, can that be outsourced? And no different than we do in our houses sometimes, right? We have someone clean our car, right? I could do it. Um, but it's, it's little things like what are the little things you can outsource? 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we've seen it really firsthand over the years working with some of the same very talented RevOps leaders as they've taken steps through, you know, each phase of their career moving up and up and up. And every now and then we actually have to pull someone aside and say, it's time to stop doing that. You know, whether it's troubleshooting formulas or trying to figure out some sort of automation or dealing with something very much on the back end. Uh, but then, you know, as Jaron has said, you know, actually letting go of the things you like is another one of those phases. Um, so yeah, very interesting. I'm, I'm glad, um, I'm glad to hear how much you've thought about that and you've incorporated that into you know, how you run your team. Yeah. Let's talk specifically about your role a bit, Michael. Your title is Director of Revenue Operations. And you mentioned again that you know each of the functional areas might still have their own task force, their operating team, their execution team. So what does your day-to-day -day entail? So right now, it's it's kicking off the new year. So I'm a little more project-based right now. So as we went into the end of the year, focus around planning. And it's, I, usually, I usually focus on bookings planning because as soon as we get to revenue and ARR, I'd like to pass that to someone off because I'm not that particular. I'm a 95% accuracy person. And that's good in the bookings world, not so good on the financial accounting world. So, um, so that's usually where I start towards the end of the year. Um, I then sort of flip into just the nature of it, planning moves into compensation. So therefore, a lot of my day has been focused on comp plans. What do we need to do to set targets for the year? And then that usually trickles into some sort of go-to-market shift. So right now, and part of that is the nature of getting acquired of my day-to-day -day has gone away, right? I used to be responsible for day-to-day -day maintenance of Salesforce, some of those other initiatives that happens just in a small company when you get to a bigger company, the benefit is there's someone else to do that job, right? And that's their sweet spot. That's their go-to. I don't need to focus on that. That enables me to focus on some other things that are usually cross-functional or um, just bandwidth, right? It's, I, I got freed up essentially to do these types of things. So therefore, right now, it's a little bit of a hodgepodge just as we kind of kick off the new year and, and get into some of the projects that were put on the back burner towards the end of the last year through the integration. So let me ask you this. What keeps you up at night? Be that now in the middle of an integration or when you are running the maintenance of and the day-to-day -day regular operations in the RevOps function? There's a couple things. I think we'd all be blind to say, hey, with all the macroeconomic conditions, that keeps me up at night. So how do we prevent those is one of those things that I think we can impact revenue operations of how can we better forecast to know if there is a downturn, even with our own market, we can recognize it. Uh, the, I think it's it's a twitch, right? And I, I'm literally holding a pen and it's nothing more than it's a fidget more than anything. Um, that how can we make it better when you start seeing things like a chat GBDT start flying? Like how do we get over our initial hurdles of operationalizing the business or going through change or whatever it is knowing there are companies already adapting these new AI initiatives, these new AI features, better analytics or whatever it may be, of how can we get over these operational challenges to get to that new world, to try to get an edge. So those are the things that keep me up at night. It is so interesting. I saw a really interesting piece uh, where somebody had asked a question of one of the tools, let's say it was uh, chat GPT, uh, and that might have been a few months back, and then it asked the same very, very specific set of 
things that it wanted. And uh, the, um, the response the second time around was order of magnitudes better and more sophisticated. Oh, and I, I actually you know what it was, it was a logic puzzle and it, and the AI got the logic answer incorrect the first time, but solved it the second time. And it makes me think of like deep blue and some of these, you know, chess games and other things uh, way back in the eighties and nineties, improving and improving, and then finally yeah. eclipsing the grandmasters. Uh, but I wonder if we're seeing that progression and, um, so I'm excited that that keeps you up at night too, because we're, we've really got some amazing opportunities coming. And I, I think that's why we need to simplify, right? Like, how do we simplify? How do we get revenue operations in place? And it's about how do we operationalize that structured information to then go analyze the unstructured stuff that we don't know how to analyze yet, right? Like, I know one of the things I got excited about was the, the Salesforce, Tableau, and Slack integration. Like, how's that going to work? Right? You think they're kind of crazy and off the beaten path a little bit, but that's a very different customer experience. So how's that going to integrate through the next wave plus whatever else we don't know yet? And at that point, that was before ChatGPT hit the news and all the other things. So intriguing. So I'd love to shift gears and talk about cross-functional corporate level initiatives. Uh, uh, which of these are you owning? You mentioned comp plans earlier. Certainly, those touch a number of groups. Uh, tell us about that in your in your current work environment. So, because it was let's say three companies coming together, the acquire the big company Risk Connect acquiring two smaller companies, Castellon and uh, Active Risk last year. Everyone had their own way of doing comp. Um, there was Excel spreadsheets. There was things like Exactly. We had a thing called Captivate. So we had all these different tools out there. So. One of the benefits of getting acquired is, is that, right? We need to consolidate into one platform, one method of thinking, and then also bringing additional teams on. So we're bringing the BDRs onto exactly this year and bringing um, our CS teams on as well. So it's now expanded, I think, from about 40 or 50 people, I think was the count before. Um, and then also now bringing it to about 125 folks, 150 folks that will ultimately be on comp plans and then upgrading exactly. So what was installed a couple of years ago is just it's time to to adapt and, and grow it into how do we make it more operational. So that's been the biggest one right now uh, that we're focused on. Yeah, um, we really love asking about interaction with uh, board and investors. Uh, it sounds like you've had some interesting experiences. You've gone through the acquisition process and responded to due diligence. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So my board experience was mostly through the Castellon to Risk Connect um, acquisition. So I was brought into Castellon many years ago by the CEO at the time, John Ezrine. And one of the things that he pushed for years was analytics, 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 analytics. So uh, we, we spent a lot of time getting our data right. Uh, There's a lot of people just beyond me, our marketing ops people, our CS ops people, like our finance people. There's a, a really good team that we had that was really focused on this. Um, including one FBNA person that we had as well. So getting that data right was about a two-year journey, knowing that some of these questions that people were going to ask through due diligence was, what's the value of pipeline? What things do we need to know? Like, where's the drop-off? How did it trend? Is this good? Is this bad? Is there anything predictable that you can have in? So uh, one of the coolest projects was the first half of last of 2022 was being almost, I'll call it the lead analyst of aggregating all that information, working with our, uh, working with the PE group, working with the um, investment bankers as well, of getting all that information into a reasonable size data set and being part of that, um, 
part of that sell, which was, it was a busy, busy first half of the year for sure. But it was definitely eye-opening to what sorts of questions are being asked through due diligence and what do you need to have, which only helps later on is, hey, we need this data if we're going to sell again or uh, exit again. Yeah, I think it seems like an incredible experience. I'm glad you you had that. Um, how about um, your involvement with preparation of board materials? Sure. So right now, my focus is mostly to sales. So as much as I am revenue operations, I still focus sales predominantly. So uh, we just made a switch about a, about a month or so ago um, that I'm responsible for putting the board slides together for our, our sales leader. Um, I still do some back-end support. I know because we require, there's always those residual questions of how's like Q4 doing, how's Q1 doing? So providing some of that context just because I was responsible for forecasting at Castellon. So um, usually a little bit more man behind the curtain sometimes it feels like, where it's like, hey, Q4, how did that compare year over year? So always being able to provide some additional context or putting together the actual slides or here's here's some example commentary that we could put into the talk track. I'll type it up for our sales leader, finance leader, whomever it may be, and then they can augment as they see fit or which message they want to share. So as a tech consulting firm, we we pretty much guaranteed have to ask about, is there a tech stack tool that you just couldn't live without? There's probably like two or three, depending on the use case. Uh, I'm a sucker for Gong. Um, I still think there is a is a world that we still don't fully understand and that's processing the, and i go back to processing unstructured data of i feel like i can get more about competitive intelligence by looking at gong than my own crm so there's something there that like i still think is under tapped that we can continue to drive further and then the other one it, it depends on the use case but it does exactly what you needed to i like distribution engine uh, there's a couple guys that based out of the UK that put together, I think I found them in like 2015 or 2016. It was a bunch of years ago. And it just solves the one problem you need and it's to route leads. And that's it. And you can ask it to do a couple other crazy things. I know they've developed the product quite a bit, but they are just the nicest group over there. Uh, I think I bought them three or four times between consulting or different companies. And they sent me biscuits one time. And I don't know if it's the biscuits talking, but they're just the nicest group that truly just solves a need. I need a faster way to route leads from marketing all the way over to BDRs. So those are probably the two for very different reasons. Yeah, it's quite an endorsement. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. How about, um, I think you've, you know, you've shared with us before a real affinity for reporting. Where do you go for an at a glance view? I usually get involved with the forecast fairly early on. Um, it's always where I start when I think of a consulting engagement or going in because it truly tells you the health and it, it's a couple of indicators. If you're underperforming against forecast, it's usually a lack of pipeline or a lack of inbound flow and inbound, let's just say from inbound outbound marketing in general, if you're overperforming, you're probably not setting expectations the other way into your sales to CS handoff or and then ultimately, it kind of trickles over to retention. So if we do sales bookings forecast into retention, you'll start to get a quick view. So where do I go as I start, I start listening to those forecast calls. Usually my job is to help enable or make it better or whatever. So at that point, I'm like, okay, here's current process. How do we improve? Where do you improve? And that's where I start pulling back the onion ever so slowly of 
hey, did you hit your forecast yay or nay? How, what's the size of pipeline in terms of like relationship to the balance? Like, is your pipeline all in early stages or late stages, right? Um, I then start looking at pushes, like how much do you push? Because one of the analyses I start looking into is, hey, how much comes in a month one, month two, month three? And that's, let's just presume it's a quarterly based company. So um, where do I go for the high level view? I usually start with the forecast and depending on how that is working, it will then start trickling me over towards perhaps inbound or towards retention, depending on, on, on how the forecast is performing. That makes a lot of sense. So Michael, I have to ask you, what do you think will be the next big disruption in RevOps? It, it's, the, it's the unstructured data. And I know this isn't necessarily new, but so much of RevOps is focused on, hey, how do we get processed? How do we get better data? That's all in a structured environment right now. It's how do we get better contact information? How do we get better forecasts? Like, how do we get our sales teams to put in the right stage? Everything that's in the future is unstructured. And so how do we get this information from, again, the gongs of the world or whatever else is out there, chat GBTs of how do we actually enable the team either to confirm this unstructured data as structured data, or how do we kind of forget about and use the CRM as a data warehouse, if you will, and just start pushing people towards these, and they're almost free tools at this point, right? And then how do we actually measure, manage, and all these other things? I know a question I get from marketing all the time is, how do we measure communities? And so like, I know most of the times I evaluate a tool, it's through a community and it's never even, before I even get to the vendor, I've already pretty much made a decision. So like, how can we start attacking and reviewing and analyzing whatever it may be, this unstructured data and bring that into and consume that into our very structured worlds? And I know people are doing that today. I just think it's how do we do that in mass? And, and so therefore, David, kind of answer your earlier question, how do we get to automation of this structured data and, and as out of the box as possible, right? We need to get over that as fast as possible to start thinking of how we can impact these teams. How do, and this is where I might counter my very top of the hour statement of pushing technology, but pushing technology that can truly help, right? To make it easier or whatever else it may be. That's the new world. I think what's fascinating about your observation of this trend, right? How do we make sense of the world, which is inherently in, unstructured in this business context that is actionable, immediately applicable um, for, for sales teams, marketing teams to be able to use? That is such a huge problem, right? Yeah. And we're seeing these revolutionary tools come out where they are making sense of, to us, unstructured data. And, and presenting it in a structured way. But I think the other thing you're calling out here is when there are disruptive technologies out there, how do we really quickly make that accessible um, so that our teams are not falling behind when our competitors perhaps are adopting and experimenting with you know, these new high, high velocity uh, platforms out there? I think that's a huge question. And just buzz, right? It's, it's, I mean, I think of Instagram or TikTok or any of these things that they're just trends. And even if it's just a trend, people like it, right? You, that's how you get your name out. That's how you get your brand out. Like, does it work? Sometimes we don't know. We don't know TikTok was going to be great until all of a sudden TikTok was the biggest thing on the internet. So it, it just moves so fast. And I know what, in the last couple of days, Google and 
Microsoft or Microsoft in general have announced these these AI features like that's that's quick. It's just trying to ride the, ride the wave. Yeah, I had a conversation uh, maybe a month or two ago with a CMO group that I'm a part of, and folks in that group were recommending like, hey, you've got you know in a typical marketing world, you've got maybe sixty to seventy percent of your effort and investment in resources on what is kind of like proven initiatives, right? The things that not only keep the lights on, but the bread and butter of what you need to do. And then, you know, some of the folks recommended, hey, you've got something between 10 to 30% where you would want to allocate to experiments, things that are coming up uh, throughout the year, things that you may not have planned for, but that allows for the allocation of availability in an ideal world to be able to experiment with things like chat GBT, which people probably would not have expected, you know, when they were planning for fiscal 2022 um, at the start of the year, right? Like it came out and it kind of transformed everything. And now we just, you know, we want to try to incorporate it as much as possible into um, our operations. So I think there's probably a way to accommodate with that allocation of investment and time in order to enable fast response time and yeah. providing the teams with the latest and greatest as an experiment. And, and I think that's where you, you have to stay. And this is where I think RevOps is, is that crossover world of like, you have to stabilize, right? As much as we want to say ChatGBT is the wave of the future, we've seen all these fads all of a sudden go away in three, four weeks, right? And so it's let's not lose sight of here's what got us there. Let's continue to experiment further and or farther and farther rather. Um, but nonetheless, focus how do we like leave this 10% or automate what David, I think it goes back to what you're saying. Like, how do we automate or offload? We need to offload the stuff that can be done or outsource whatever can be done. So we can kind of say, here's how this can be incorporated or an idea that we can continue to just evolve with. So a bunch of different ways we can tackle this that we're definitely trying to figure that out. Yeah. That's, it's a really exciting time to be in tech and to be at the cutting edge of tech right now. Yeah, sure. Michael, let's talk about you. Um, we've been talking about your your work. We've been talking about your team, but like, let's actually dig into your background. First of all, please tell our listeners where you're dialing in from today and uh, how long have you been there? So I live in Italy, um, been here for about a year and a half, just under six months to go. Uh, my wife's in the service, so we got stationed here a year and a half ago. So I've been eating pasta, drinking wine, and traveling through Europe for the last year and a half. So it's been a been a good run. Living everyone's dream life, loving it. Um, but prior to this, you were you've only been in Italy for uh, the last couple. Um, you got your undergrad, I think, at uh, UC Boulder. Right. with a BA in economics and history. You've also gotten a degree from Macquarie, which uh, I've also uh, been at and studied at, uh, which is really exciting. You've gone, kind of gone through a ton of ops roles in the last um, number of years. More recently, you were an ops advisor. Um, you've been a manager of RevOps previously, scale upon demand, uh, sales ops manager at Crimson Hexagon, uh, lots of spots, a great well-known brands in kind of the Boston area. Tell me a little bit about how you actually got into SaaS RevOps. I remember being in orientation for college and there was a stat that said one in three people that start engineering end up being engineers. 
So I am one of those people that is an engineering dropout because I couldn't pass physics. Uh, but the things that I was good at, I have three A's in college. One is coding, two is photography, and three was architecture. And so there was clearly something missed as I was either going through high school or going through college of like, I would have been a perfect candidate for computer science because I didn't understand how the human body worked or how physics works, but I could, I could read coding and read logic and creative enough to start thinking of how, this could, how things can work and what the world around us kind of looks at. So um, I had an internship in college that got me over to EMC into the RSA world, um, just kind of fell into it from that perspective. But my focus was always, I got really sick of fixing data at the report level. And I really wanted to get into fixing the problem. So I went from being an, a trained analyst at EMC and RSA through Log Me In, who had a really good uh, sales ops or revenue operations team, whatever you want to call it at the time. And then I wanted to go fix some of these challenges. So I started making my way to smaller and smaller companies of actually getting into Salesforce, understanding why things work that way. Why is it hard for a BDR to pass off to an AE, to a, an AE over to a, a CS person? and start unwinding like, where can we either cut process that's just old because through that growth period, it made sense, but no longer makes sense anymore. And then start building back up and then trickled over to consulting. And then uh, one of uh, where I got into Castellano's was former client was the CEO. So brought us in and, and kind of rebuilt up. So it's been this kind of journey of going from analytics, which is a passion to go fix the problem and now building back up the right processes systems to get analytics back out the other way at scale. Uh, so that's that was kind of my journey of definitely bouncing around the Boston tech scene for a while and uh, starting to fix the problems and then building back up, getting back to analytics, which is really what I like to focus on. You are not joking when you said you're passionate about analytics. I mean, mm -hmm. in order to solve the problem, I love it. You're like, I'm sick of fixing data at the report level. How do I fix it at the at the start when the data is inputted, when the data is captured and and that suckered you in? Yeah, right in. If you could give advice to yourself on day one of your current role, what might you say to yourself? I would have been a little bit more patient. Um, I think there was a lot of energy um, that was, we were coming out of a, a really, a really uh, hardworking period in the first half of the year as it related to the acquisition. Um, I think we were all excited to help. There's a lot of us that came over that helped build Castellon. We had a lot of good processes and we really wanted to focus on how can we bring that to scale? Um, and I think we did the first mistake is we didn't ask, is, is this feel to be a problem, right? And so I think we got caught up a little bit in the, in the hype of we were acquired, we're the best. And at the same time, we could have waited a little bit longer, been a little bit more patient, understood other processes, right? Like why are things still set up this way at a bigger company? And um, I think that's one of those pieces of advice I would give myself is be a little bit more patient. Um, understand, again, you are acquired for a reason. And some of that reason is not necessarily your internal process. It's usually your client base and the ARR and all these other things. So um, get it, spend a little bit more extra time, spend a little bit of extra time understanding current process in the, in the bigger world before you start impacting change, which I think we all fail at every single time because we think we have an idea and, and some of it works, right? Um, but always, you can always be a little more patient off the, off the front because you're working with new people and new processes that you, you still don't know why they are that way.
So Michael, reflecting on this amazing run you've had in RevOps, I think we're lucky that engineering wasn't your path. So we've we've got you down the, the RevOps path. You know, taking a big step back, looking into the big bright future, what's out there on your career bucket list? I'm really curious what you're thinking about and where you're headed. Um, I, I've been fortunate. Um, right now, I, I have probably about two and a half years to really just settle in for a little bit. Uh, my wife gets out of the military in two and a half years and we want to take a break. I'd be right around year 15. And so right now I'm kind of pushing towards that of, I, I really have about two, two and a half years to try to, to lock in and then we get to take a break. But as it relates to like the bigger picture, um, there's a lot of things I want to start exploring. I want to start designing little applications for people, whether it be people in RevOps or people around RevOps. It's how do we make those things easier? Can, is there automations, David? I keep coming back to this. Like, I don't know yet, but there's definitely things that can help. So I definitely want to get a little bit more in the product side of things and starting moving to something probably a little more tangible as it relates to how do we take revenue operations into uh, whether an e-commerce space or something perhaps that goes a little bit more to the consumer than a B2B situation. So short term, it's a little more focused in on uh, how do we get to my wife get out of the military? So a little more personal. At the same time, how do we relate what we learned in the revenue ops tech B2B space, either at B2C and at scale, therefore, because there's more information, more data, or flip it into how do we create little tools and gadgets and widgets to really help it? And that's where I think of a distribution engine as a perfect example of that, where it was just a little, started as a little widget and grew into what it is today. So things like that. Yeah, that's awesome. So leading RevOps is pretty intense. What do you do to unwind from the insanity of your role? I, I travel. I go on vacations that my phone doesn't work. Uh, I just got a drone. That's been really fun. So photography cool. has always been a, a pet project of mine. So um, I got a little tiny, um, little tiny backpack that I throw a camera and a tiny drone that I kind of just go off wandering, whether that be in a new city or um, out in the woods somewhere going hiking or skiing and just kind of play outside is, is really my thing. Uh, that sounds great. And where do you turn for uh, resources for RevOps learning? I think that's, there's, there's two sides to that coin right now. I think one, there's not a lot of learning, right? I think, what's that book? There's that one book that I think was written in the eighties about the introduction of sales ops. Was it Adobe or ADP or one of those groups? Um, I can't even remember what it was. I read it probably five or five or 10 years ago at this point. So from that perspective, there isn't a lot, but now I think there's a lot of people that are getting blogs out there. There's a lot of communities out there um, that are trying to get this, this word out, right? There's a lot of podcasts out there as well. So there's, I think it's one of those things, there is no book on RevOps, hence why we're all kind of trying to figure out via podcast communities and uh, blogs or LinkedIn blogs more specifically. And is there anyone else that you think would be a fantastic guest on the RevOps Rockstars podcast? There's a couple out there. Um, I think you can kind of go a couple different ways. Uh, I know one of my mentors was Drew Mullen. Uh, Drew Mullen uh, used to be a mentor of mine when I was at RSA. Um, there's also some awesome people that are, that are coming up. Uh, there's Taylor Young that used to work at Terminus. I know she just moved over to Bizarre Voice. And the cool thing about Taylor, she's coming from customer success. I think we focus so much around revenue operations as we focus on 
marketing, sales, and maybe even finance, or but we rarely really talk about this from a CS perspective. So uh, Taylor's been really good. And then I know you all know Phoebe up in Boston. Phoebe's just an absolute rock star that I cannot speak more highly of someone of just someone that loves to get in the weeds of. And so I'm really curious to see how Phoebe's doing a lot of the last couple of years of moving out of that individual contributor back office and really promoting herself into a very strategic thinker. So those are usually my, you know, I saw her last week for the first time in a very long time and she's doing yeah. great. That's awesome. Michael, you've mentioned a good number of folks, uh, just now in terms of folks who've inspired you folks who might be good for the podcast, maybe for others to be able to follow if others, uh, found this conversation enlightening and inspiring where can they find you on the interwebs on the interwebs um my phone's a little wonky knowing that i live in italy so we'll uh we'll stick to linkedin right now uh so that's probably the first one um i am on the two communities right now the revops co-op and WizOps. i'm guilty that i don't follow it that closely but i am there as well so uh, every so often i'll check in see how everyone's doing but uh, linkedin's probably the go-to right now that's great. And where can folks learn more about Risk Connect? Uh, you can definitely go to riskconnect.com. That's one. Follow us on LinkedIn. Uh, or it's probably the other one. But there's a lot of events out there um, that, that are coming up. So keep an eye out on the, those event lists and uh, focus on riskconnect.com. They're, they're all listed there as well. Michael, it's been such a pleasure having you on the RevOps Rockstars podcast with Jaron and I this week. Uh, you shared uh, so many things uh, during this uh, session. You talked about the lesson learned of picking a technology because you wanted it, but maybe the field didn't want it and regretting that later. Uh, you shared the idea of the weekly Jedi Council. I'm going to borrow that. I think that's a fantastic Good. name you for, you know, just elevating this thing that um, actually probably is a good thing to get stakeholders uh, uh uh, talking to each other to make sure that these, you know, different cross-functional teams are operating smoothly. Um, also, I think you've, you've inspired me. I, it's been forever since I was last in Italy. So I, I want to make it back over. Yeah. Yeah. So really it's uh, been a really special episode. We thank you so much for sharing your experiences uh, with our listeners. Thank you. And I want to, of course, thank all of our listeners, our subscribers. We're loving the interaction and comments you're dropping on social media for us. Again, the podcast is available on all primary streaming platforms, including Spotify, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, et cetera. So if you haven't already, recommend the podcast to someone and subscribe to the podcast. Michael, I had so much fun chatting with you today. I love the conversation about ChatGPT. I love the first question you came out, um, knocking it out of the park with, uh, which is around um, what is something, you know, if there was only one thing you could do to save the world in RevOps, like what would it be? I'm going to definitely keep that in my back pocket. Um, very much looking forward to hearing more about your travels and hopefully we'll see you back stateside soon. Thank you again for being on the podcast, Michael. Thanks, Jaren. And this has been another exciting episode of RevOps Rockstars. See everyone next time. Stay classy, Rockstars. And that wraps up another episode. Thank you so much for joining us. For show notes and other episodes, visit RevOpsRockstars.com. RevOps Rockstars is sponsored by OptFocus. Visit OptFocus.com to learn more about how OptFocus helps SaaS companies scale their revenue operations. 